Hi there. Welcome to the While You Wait podcast, where it's all about helping women just like you learn about the bladder while you're waiting for your appointment with that specialist. Each week, I'll combine science, medicine, and common sense so you can learn, become empowered, and get started on your journey to dryness. I'm your host, Dr. Sarah Boyles, a board-certified urogynecologist. Let's get started. Hi there. Today's episode is a conversation about perimenopause, menopause, and estrogen. I see lots of women who have bladder and vaginal symptoms because of their hormonal status. Sometimes they're postmenopausal, but women who are perimenopausal or are in a low estrogen state because of something like breastfeeding or contraception can also have these symptoms. Low estrogen can impact the bladder and vagina, and you can get symptoms like recurrent bladder infections or feeling like you have a urinary tract infection, but the cultures are negative, so symptoms, but they're not related to bacteria, urinary frequency, vaginal dryness, pain with intercourse, vaginal sensitivity. These symptoms are common. A recent New York Times article called Women Have Been Misled About Menopause quoted Dr. Rachel Rubin, who said, Menopause has the worst PR campaign in the history of the universe because it's not just hot flashes and night sweats. She was right. Today I'll be talking to Karen Adams, who is an OBGYN who's an expert in menopause, and we'll be talking about symptoms and vaginal estrogen. Hello, I'm here today with Dr. Karen Adams. Karen has devoted her whole career to working with women who are menopausal. And I'm just going to pause here and let Karen introduce herself and, and tell you what she has done. Hi, Dr. Sarah. I am so delighted to be here. And you and I know each other from a lot of different realms, but this is a new one for us. So, uh, so how fun! how fun is this? Uh, So yeah, thank you so much for having me. I am Professor Emeritus of Obstetrics and Gynecology at Oregon Health and Science University. I am the founding director of the Menopause and Sexual Medicine Program in the Center for Women's Health there. And starting in July of 2023, I will be at Stanford University in their Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology, where I will be creating and leading a menopause and healthy aging program. And I am beyond excited to get sink my teeth into that. That that is a lot. And I'm so excited for this new opportunity for you. So tell me, why do we need more menopausal education? We need it on every level because people experience it as patients and don't know what is happening and their partners experience it as partners and they don't know what's happening. And half the time, more than half the time, their providers don't know what's happening. And so there is this incredible gap of knowledge and expertise and patients are left to struggle and in in a lot of situations figure it out on their own, which is uh, actually, I think, quite shameful in this era of uh, social media and 
ease of access of information, the fact that so many myths still persist about perimenopause and menopause and so much misinformation and so much just downright ignorance exists that, uh, you know, for the rest of my life, I feel like I want to put on a Viking helmet and hold a spear and a... (laughs) And just, you know, parachute in wherever they need me to uh, to educate people and patients because it's a real need. Um, I, yeah, it, you know, I totally agree with you. And I love your enthusiasm on this subject. And, you know, it's amazing to me all the things that we're willing to talk about in this day and age and how, you know, some of these very basic things that all women go through, we you know, still don't talk a lot about and, you know, the information isn't there. So you mentioned some myths about perimenopause and menopause. And and tell me what you mean by that. What are the myths that you hear that you want to dispel? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and as we launch into this conversation, I want to start by just saying that we're going to be talking a lot about vaginas and bladders and things. And a lot of people um, have experienced sexual trauma. And some of these conversations can be difficult for people. So I, I want to just acknowledge that. And I also want to acknowledge that when we say women, for me, I'm talking about people with vaginas and people with ovaries who are experiencing some of the hormonal changes related to their ovarian function. And I understand not everybody identifies as women if they have a vagina or ovaries, but um, that's we're still learning um, how to expand our language to include uh, all those people. So I will say those things at the beginning. If I think I'm those are always good things to clarify, right? Because there are ways that we exclude um, different populations without meaning to, right? And I, I think our knowledge and awareness is increasing. Right. And so when we say um, you know, pain with intercourse, pain with sex, we really should be saying pain with vaginal penetration, things like that, because not everybody has sex the same way. So so having said all that, I will say I think the biggest myth about perimenopause is that if you're having any periods at all, your symptoms are not related to perimenopause or menopause, and you're not really there yet, um, because that's just not true. So this is, I think, a great time to begin by defining our terms a little bit. Menopause um, is the definition of menopause is no period for a year. So we only know that in retrospect, right? In the rearview mirror, we could only look back and say, oh yeah, that was my last period. It was over a year ago. We don't know it at the time. You know, you don't know when that last period is until it's been a year. So once you've gone through that year, then you're officially postmenopausal. Perimenopause is the time that leads up to that, what we call final menstrual period. On average, it's about four years, but it can be one year. It can be 10 years. Let me just say that again. It can be 10 years. That is a terrifying prospect, don't you think? And the average age of menopause is 51. So some people in their early 40s are skipping periods now and then. And it's it's a little bit uh, challenging, I think, for patients and for providers to identify what is actually happening in that situation. Yeah. And <laughs> the symptoms can be correlated then, and um, people can think it's not really related to menopause or perimenopause. 
I, I think that's such a great point, right? Because I think, you know, women in their early 40s um, aren't really thinking about menopause yet, right? That's not, or or maybe they're thinking about it for someone else. They're not really thinking about it for themselves, or at least not at that time. And I think that can be so surprising to a, a woman to think, oh my goodness, you know, maybe this is hormonal at this point in time. Right, exactly. And those women are often still thinking about fertility, too, because, you know, we're still every time you have a period that usually is presumptive evidence that you ovulated. So I I do think it's helpful for us to talk with our patients and for our patients to think about this as your period is your fourth vital sign. Right. So what that tells you when you have a period every month It's that your brain is talking to your ovary every month. It's sending a signal and it's telling your ovary to wake up and the ovary wakes up and it makes hormones. It makes an egg, makes a a period. And then the whole thing starts over again. And it's very predictable and it's very cyclic every single month. And when you're going through perimenopause, your brain is still sending that signal to your ovary every month the way it always does. But the ovary is aging. And so the ovary is responding less and less reliably to the messages that the brain is sending it. And so every once in a while, it wakes up and makes some hormones and you have a period and then things kind of settle on back and you go a few months without it. And that process um, eventually leads to the ovary just going, yeah, no, not doing it, never again. And the brain pumps out and the ovary never responds and you're fully menopausal. But all that kind of unpredictability when you're getting to that point is what triggers all those symptoms and women feel it and they're not losing their mind. It's real. It's physiologic. And that's a really important thing, I think, for people to understand. So I love your description. Um, I think that that, um, you know, really illustrates so well what is going on physiologically in the body. But besides erratic periods, what other symptoms do you see women have in that perimenopausal period? Exactly. So um, hot flushes are the most common symptom after irregular periods. 100% of people have irregular periods. 80% of us have hot flushes. So hot flushes, the flip side of that is night sweats. And it's sort of like, if you aren't sure if you've ever had one, you probably haven't. It's like when people say, do you think I'll know when I'm in labor? How do I know when I'm in labor? It's like, I promise you'll know. Yeah. I I say that to patients all the time with prolapse symptoms, because I think prolapse is another one of those things where when you have it, you know, you have it, but then, you know, there are times where you're trying to make sure you don't have it, but you don't really know. Right. So. Exactly. And I have patients who are like, I cannot get through a meeting with a client without sweating through my blouse. And it's horrible, you know, so, you know, a hot flush often is visible. People can see it. Your face get re- gets red, your hair gets a little bit sweaty, you know, you're kind of sweating through your shirt. You got a little bit of that glow on your upper lip. It's pretty obvious. And for some people, it can feel like a panic attack because it's a little bit heart racy and clammy palms. It's so uncomfortable. And then often the, then the, the temperature comes back down and then you get chilled and then you're 
putting on your sweater and all that. So that kind of heat and then chilled is sort of the the um, cyclic nature of a hot flush. So 80% of us get that. 68%, almost 70% of us get mood changes. Isn't that crazy? So anxiety, depression, irritability, short fuse. If people have a history of depression or postpartum depression, depression in college, something like that, it's almost 100%. But even people who have no history of mood disorders have a 68% chance of that happening in um, the perimenopause. So Mood is um, a big symptom. Sleep disturbance is another one. Vaginal symptoms. Um, yeah. So uh, bladder. So there's. Yeah. I think the, the mood is such an important one, right? Um, because, you know, you're in your 40s. You feel, I mean, there's so many things that you can attribute moodiness or irritability to. And recognizing that it can be physiologic, I think, is important. Mm-hmm. Um, in my clinic, I see a lot of women who come in with pelvic symptoms, right? Mm-hmm. So vaginal dryness, pain with intercourse, um, urinary frequency, recurrent UTI, so getting bladder infections all the time, and sometimes feeling like you have a bladder infection, even if um, the cultures are negative. And so, you know, that happens in the perimenopausal period as well. It's, you know, frequently hormonal, right? It's this whole syndrome that medically we call the genitourinary um, syndrome of menopause. But those are symptoms that are frequently missed, right? And, And women often don't realize that they're that they're hormonal. 50%, 50% of us have genitourinary syndrome of menopause. So it's not 80% like um, hot flushes, but 50% of us get it. And of those 50%, only six to 7% are treated. So like one in 20, which is an absolute tragedy because- it- treatable, right? Yeah. It's crazy um, Mm -hmm. how few women are are treated. And, you know, it may seem like small symptoms, right? But those symptoms have huge quality of life issues and, and impact, right? They can impact relationships. I mean, there are just so many places that they can impact you. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's really true. And I I realize you and I, we're not curing cancer here, right? I realize right. that. But quality of life is so important. Our sexual life, our bladders, women's lives change if they're leaking urine so much that they can't do things. You know, they stop they stop exercising. They stop, you know, going out in the world and hiking. They stop doing things they love. Some women leak when they have sex. So they stop having sex. Yeah. You know, some people stop having sex because it hurts. It's totally sane not to want to do something that hurts. And so I feel like it's a tragedy that so few women are actually treated for yeah. these. I, I agree with that. I think it's a shame and, and more women should be treated. And even more so, I think more women should understand what's going on, right? Um, because sometimes you just have no idea what's what's happening and what is causing you know these issues. And how many times, Sarah, has somebody said to you, I thought this was just aging, normal aging. I didn't, I mean, right? Like once a day, once a session in clinic, somebody says that. It it happens all the time. Yeah. 
Or someone will say, you know, I've been asking about this um, and I I just couldn't find the answer, right? Nobody, nobody really um, helped guide me along this, along this path. Can you talk to me a little bit about vaginal estrogen versus systemic estrogen for women? Yes. So I think that's a really essential point. And if I had the ability to put a slide up with flashing lights, this is your take-home message. Everyone from this podcast, this is your take-home message. Vaginal estrogen, estrogen in the vagina, most of the time is what we call local, meaning it just affects the bladder and the vagina. There is one type of vaginal estrogen that is systemic, meaning that it gives you blood levels in, like if I were to draw your blood, it would look like you were taking estrogen. But the vast majority of uh, of hormone preparations that go in the vagina are what we call local. And that means they stay in the vagina. They stay right at that area of the bladder, meaning you are not going to get any systemic risks uh, related to using it. And I'm talking to you, people who have breast cancer, because people who have breast cancer don't even want to be in the same room with estrogen. And because they're afraid that it uh, is going to increase their risk of recurrence. And so um, although there are some good alternatives for managing uh, vaginal and bladder symptoms in people who, for whatever reason, don't want to use any kind of estrogen, in some situations, even in people who have breast cancer, we will consider it and use it. Because let me say this, the vagina loves estrogen. I'm going to say that again. The vagina loves estrogen. And if you look at cross sections of the vaginal tissue under the microscope in women who are premenopausal who have estrogen and women who are postmenopausal who do not have estrogen, those women with estrogen have many, many thicker cell layers. There's more tissue there under the microscope than in those people who are not on estrogen. So the vagina gets thin. It doesn't stretch as much. It gets kind of um, tissue papery. And so it, it can cause pain with intercourse. It can cause discomfort just when you're wearing jeans. It can make you feel like you have to pee all the time when you really don't, or that you have a UTI and you really don't. So a little estrogen um, is magic for those, for those um, symptoms. So Karen, I, I have to tell you, I think I'm going to have a t-shirt made that says that. Um, because that is going to be my new, my new favorite thing. I've never put it quite like that, but I definitely agree with you. I I mean, I think without estrogen, the vagina gets, you know, mad and irritated. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the symptoms that women get is you just, you keep thinking about the vagina because it's, it's irritated. Right. Right. We're not supposed to be thinking about our vagina. Right. Say that our, you know, we used to not live long enough that this was ever an issue. And so when women say, well, it's natural, I should just let this natural process happen, you know, it was natural to die at age 45 back in the 1800s or early 1900s. So, you know, now our our lifespan is going to be 80, 90, 95. I have a patient who 80 years old. Old, and she's having sex with two different men. No pain, no pain.
insane. I was like, you are my hero. <laughs> and she said, why not? Why not? You know? So I just tell my patients who are having pain or difficulty, that can be you. That yeah. can be you. you well, get- and I think you can make whatever choice you want to make and whatever fits you the best, but you should have that education, right? To know what your options are. Absolutely. So tell me what your take home message is. I mean, when, when women, what do you want all, you know, perimenopausal women to know? Yes. Thank you there. I have two take home messages. One is um, if you are still having any kind of bleeding and irregular periods uh, that does not rule out that you could be menopausal or perimenopausal and that your symptoms could be related to that. So don't let someone tell you just because you had a period three months ago, these are not hormonal symptoms. That is incorrect. And then my second message is that local estrogen, meaning a pill in the in the vagina, cream at the opening of the vagina or inserted inside, or some types of rings, some types of little suppositories can be magic to treat pain with sexual activity, bladder symptoms like urge, feeling like you're going to have to run to the bathroom and you may not make it, um, and just general vaginal dryness and discomfort. Those are my two take-home messages. You're speaking my language. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the fear about estrogen is is a huge problem. I mean, there are definitely some risks to estrogen, but you just need to understand what those risks are and how they fit into your personal health history. And for most women, um, vaginal estrogen is fine. So thank you so much for clearing that up. So Karen, I just want to thank you for your time. I really appreciate you. I appreciate this conversation and keep spreading the word. And thank you so much. (laughs) I appreciate you so much, Sarah. I, I hope that this goes far and wide because you and I cannot see all the people that need to be seen and the word has to get out there. So thank you for doing. Thanks, Karen. Thanks for listening. If you want more information about me or my online work, check out my website at www.thewomensbladderdoctor.com.